Welcome to Oikos. How are y'all doing? How has listening to the Lord been over this last several months as we've been doing Coffee Cup Kairos? Have you been hearing the Lord speak to your heart? So how many of you who have heard something from the Lord, you kind of evaluated it and you said, I'm going to do that, decided not to do it? Yeah, thank you, because it does happen a lot, right? We hear something from him very direct, and then we begin to have fear set in. Should I do this or should I not? Is he really with me or is he not? Today we're going to listen to a story and engage into a story of Gideon. If you don't know who Gideon is, that's okay. You're going to get introduced to him. We're going to find him in the book of Judges. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. If you don't have a Bible, um, that's all right. We've got Bibles right under there, under the table. You can grab one if you'd like to have a Bible today. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible with you. We want everyone to have access to the Word of God. So Judges is in the Old Testament. We've been doing a lot of New Testament. We've been hitting the Gospels quite a bit. Today I want to go into the Old Testament because I think the story of Gideon speaks to listening to the Lord, but having difficulty responding, having difficulty overcoming fear so that you can move forward with the Lord. So Judges, the book of Judges is about the Lord realizing that he has now given his people everything. He's taken them out of slavery. So they were enslaved to the Egyptians. So his people were called the Hebrews, and they were enslaved. He frees them through mighty acts, and some of you probably know these mighty acts. Moses holds a staff, and the sea separates, and they walk through the sea. There's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that leads them. That pillar of fire separates the Egyptian army, the largest, hugest, biggest really big army in the world. At this time, they were the superpower. They were the United States of America. They were a very well-equipped, their technology was very advanced, and they could destroy any empire that they wanted to at this time. And God saved his people. He then gave them land, just gave it to them. They now have everything they need to be God's family. Does it sound familiar? They now have everything they need to be God's family. And Judges chapter 6 starts out like this. The Israelites, that's what they're called now because they're in the land of Israel. And Abraham changed his name to Israel, the father of nations. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. When the Lord says you've done evil, he doesn't just look at the acts, but he looks at your posture. What he means when he says you've done evil is that you're not turned towards him, that you've turned away. How many of you have done evil this last week? So we're tracking right with the story, right? 
This is what I love about God's Word, is that it speaks directly to each of our situations, no matter how we walked in today. So the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now these Midianites were not awesome people. They did not serve the Lord. In fact, they wanted to abuse others. So they did everything possible to make the Israelites' life, Gideon's life, miserable. So miserable that the Midianites would hide themselves in caves, fearful. Not the Midianites, I'm sorry. The Midianites made the Israelites hide themselves in caves because they're so fearful that the Midianites would take their food. In fact, they did take their food. They were starving, and they were grasping to survive. Verse 4, they left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So in the moment that everything seemed impossible, and I bet we can track with this too, when you have no other solution, no other resources, nowhere else to turn, is that when we say, maybe I should reach out to the Lord? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, right? It's classic, because when things are going well, it's like, awesome, you're kind of there. When things are going poor, we're like, well, how can I fix it? And when things are going really bad, and we don't know how to fix it, then we may reach out and ask the Lord to help. So they cried out. And so the Lord sent a messenger. And I'm going through these verses pretty quickly. I'm going to encourage you that on your own time, read through chapter 6 and 7. It's a great story. But we're going to kind of go through chapter 6 pretty quickly. So if you're tracking with me, we're going to jump to verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. So he's down at the bottom of the winepress in complete fear that whatever he does is going to be taken. So any work that he does is going to be for naught if the Midianites see it, if they see it. Or discover him there. If you can imagine him down at the bottom of this, just hiding, quietly trying to get this into something that they can eat because they're starving. You can get that image in your head. Now listen to what the Lord says through the angel. So the angel of the Lord, this verse 12, appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Do you see the contrast? Yeah, 
Gideon down here like this. And the angel of the Lord comes in and says, Mighty hero. See, the Lord saw much more in Gideon than the people who knew Gideon saw. The Lord saw more in Gideon than Gideon himself saw in himself. The Lord saw a mighty hero in the midst of his greatest fear. I wonder if that speaks to you. If there's a fear in your heart this morning that is actually making you your making you your own worst enemy. The Midianites were bad. But the way Gideon and his fellow countrymen saw themselves was even worse. Because they thought they were abandoned and without hope that the Lord is gone. And we see this in Gideon's response. He says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't this... Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. I call this phrase that we say in our own head, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately, Lord? That's where Gideon is right now. So, We've heard all these great things, and we're actually living on the land that you gave us. And the only reason why the Midianites have power over us is because we chose not to exercise your power and authority that you gave us to expel them from the land. We chose to let them live with us. And now what have you done for us lately, Lord? Now, if you're like me, you may say this every once in a while. And you forget the things that the Lord has done. Because in the midst of trial, in the midst of scarcity or hunger, you look and you say, Lord, where's your abundance? What have you done for me lately? You're just not coming through for me. Gideon's family had abandoned the Lord by putting up an altar for Baal and an Aseroth pole. Now, we don't really know why they did that, but they built these idols. Today, we would say, well, we're too sophisticated to do stuff like that. We would never abandon the Lord that way. But where we build our idols is through wealth, sex, and status. We build them every day almost momentarily because it takes our eyes off of the one who has saved us. I'm going to look at three of these idols that we commonly put up. One idol is the idol of reason. This is when you say, I can figure this one out. I'm in desperate means right now, but I can figure this out. I don't want to bother God about this one. I mean, this is too minor for him to produce his wisdom into. I, I just can just, 
I'll figure this one out. Have you ever said, I'll figure this one out? I know that David Lefevre rose his hand. That's good. We grab tightly to this, and what it does, it begins to infect us with pride. So if you figure one thing out, then you decide, well, I can figure another thing out. And pretty soon you go, I really don't need the Lord because I'm figuring things out. I have the idol of reason that I look to. I'm not going to go to God for everything in my life because I can figure it out. And what it does is it figures you right out of the sight of God. And pretty soon you feel distant from God. And when something major happens, you may cry out, but your reason tells you he probably isn't going to help you. We just reason our way away from God. The second idol that I would say we have a grab onto, some of us, would be the idol of emotion. I can't talk to God about this right now because I'm just too sad, too mad, too excited. I am too emotional. Have you ever had that one? So I would rather bathe in my own emotion and be led by it rather than have the Spirit of the Lord lead me. So I'm mad right now, and I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I'm not forgiven yet. Have you ever said that? That's turning to your idol of emotion. I'm really, really excited, and this is just too good for me, so I'm, gonna, I'm all about this. But I forgot to invite the Lord into it. We allow our emotion to take over, and it just leads us down a path that's very far from God. And before we know it, we don't know what to feel. When he's asked us to hold on to one emotion, and that's love. That's the emotion he wants us to be led by. But we put other idols instead. The third idol is the idol of passion. Especially in today's society, we, we say, find your passion, right? Right? Go after your passion. So I love this thing so much that I put it before God. My passion is my wife. Now you would think that's good. But Satan can twist that so quickly that you put your wife or your husband above God. And before you know it, things aren't working out so great. You're trying to put them up as your passion and you love them so much that you're doing things that God would never ask you to do. Or I love my children so much, I'm going to do whatever it takes to spend a little bit more time with them. Now that sounds good, right? But if the Lord is calling you to put him first, which he's very clearly asking us to put him first, 
Sometimes that means that your children cannot be your number one passion. And let's even say they should not be your number one passion. Because you will actually love them more if you love the Lord first. You will love your spouse more if you love the Lord first. Or we can say, I'm really, really passionate about what season is coming. Oh. So I love football, and I won't make any condemnation. I'll just talk about myself. I heard it out there. Nebraska. <laughs> so I could easily say, I love Husker football so much that that's going to be my number one focus. And how I find out that this has become an idol is that I start measuring all my capital that the Lord has given me towards that. So I'm going to make sure that I have enough money to see whatever Husker game I want to go see. I'm going to make sure I make it to every Husker game. I'm going to use my time, my intellect, to find the biggest deals to make sure I can do it financially. So I'm going to spend an enormous amount of time on, which I never do, but I'm going to, this is for illustration purposes, Groupon. I'm going to be on Groupon all the time looking for this thing so I can go do my passion cheaply because the Lord likes a good steward. So I'm going to steward my resources well to make sure I can do this. And the relationships that don't like the Huskers, well, too bad for you. Because I don't have time for you because i got to focus on this. Do you see how this starts going? I'm going to pray that the Huskers win. I've got a great relationship with the Lord. I want them to be national champions again. And that's going to take a lot of prayer. <laughs> oh, see, I did that for you. <laughs> The idol of passion will slip in so silently. And you'll think you're doing really great things. And the way you evaluate whether it's become an idol is, has it come before the Lord? And you don't go jump into your idol of reason to try to reason your way why it is a good thing for the Lord. It doesn't work. All it does is turn you further and further away from the Lord. It takes you away from His people. It takes you away from the things He wants you to do. Gideon fell prey to this as well. Now, I had referenced that they had set up an altar to Baal and an Asheroth pole. And who knows, maybe they did it because all their neighbors were doing it. And they didn't want to be singled out, so they put this up. And then over the years it became something that they kind of liked. And we know this from Scripture because when the Lord tells him to start taking it down, there's some conflict. Because once an idol comes into your life, it's hard to get rid of it. Once an idol comes into your life, it is hard to get rid of it. Because you have made it and named it and claimed it as more precious than God. So we are much like Gideon. But I am thankful to know the rest of the story of Gideon. 
because we see how the Lord speaks grace into the life of Gideon, even when Gideon doesn't really believe in him. So in verse 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. What I love about this is that the Lord doesn't say, Gideon, you are weak and messed up, so get your life together, and once you get it together, go to the gym, start looking like a real hero, then I'm going to send you, so get yourself ready. He says to Gideon, remember Gideon? This fearful Gideon? He says to this little scared guy, go with the strength that you have right now because I'm sending you. You already have significance in my kingdom. He says to Gideon, you already have significance in my kingdom to represent me. And Gideon's response, this is why I asked the question at the very beginning of the message. Verse 15, but Lord, whenever it starts with a but, you know, it's not good. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am the least in my entire family. I am a loser. And we're losers. We're like the biggest losers ever. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So how many times does the Lord have to tell us that he is with us for us to get it. Over and over and over. Think about the last challenge that you faced emotionally. Think about the last challenge you faced physically. Think about the last challenge you faced financially, spiritually, even intellectually. If you got your challenge that's in your mind right now, just raise your hand. This is so that I know that everyone's listening. So in case you weren't listening, what was the last challenge you faced emotionally, physically, intellectually, spiritually, or emotionally? What was the last challenge you faced? Do you remember during that time that God was with you. And did that bring peace? Now some of us will say, well, I remembered rationally that God was with me, but it didn't bring me peace. Because then I said, well, he may not be on this thing, because look what's happening. I wonder if you had faith enough during that last challenge to say these words, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be so afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? 
Verse 17, Gideon replied, If you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away till I come back and bring my offering to you. He answered, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon is beginning to take the steps to say, I want to have faith, but let me make sure. So he hurries home, he cooks this goat, brings it as an offering. He starts to realize that the Lord is really there. He becomes shameful, says even that I am doomed because I've just seen the angel of the Lord. Not that he wasn't already talking this whole time, but just now he realizes I really am. So you see this glimmer of faith begin to erupt within Gideon. And then that night, this is verse 25, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel, for the, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. I love that the Lord so intimately knows us that he knew Gideon's father's herd. He knew his second oldest bull. I mean... I grew up on a farm. We'd often forget who the second oldest was. And yet the Lord knew. The Lord didn't only know that it was the second oldest bull. He knew how old this bull was. The Lord knows you that intimately as well. He knows all of your resources because he has given them all to you. He knows all of your weaknesses, and yet he still looks at you and says, you have significance in my kingdom. God doesn't fixate on the mistakes that we have made or the mistakes that we will make. Instead, he is simply interested in us. He knows the details of your life, not so that he can point things out, but because he actually cares about you. He simply wants to be with us. So when you're having a struggle believing that he's really with you, remember that he wants to be with you. This isn't just a claim that he makes. This is something that he desires. He wants to be with you. Gideon is still afraid, and we see that in this part of the scripture, that he was scared to do this out in public, in the public view. So he goes in the, the shadows of the night, because he's scared of his own family, and then he was scared of his neighbors. He's scared of his friends. I think the relation that we, or the relating point that we can make with this 
is that we have the same fear. When the Lord calls us to represent Him, we often shy away from our family. Because there's a fear that by bringing Jesus into something, it will be disruptive. And it will be. We've seen it happen. There's a fear when we're in our workplace and the Lord is asking us to do something to represent Him that there could be a disruption. I could be fired. I could be demoted. I could just have someone mad at me. Or they could think that I'm a fool. There's a fear as a student in school when the Lord asks you to do something that all the kids at the lunch table are going to get up and leave. Simply because you invited them to pray. But the Lord will never leave you alone in any or all circumstances because He actually wants to be with you. David wrote those words that I read before in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? So what happens is the next morning, this whole community, they are mad. So Gideon's fear was, and it was accurate. And it's probably accurate for you too, that if you share Jesus with some of your family members, they may not like it. They may look at you as a fool. If you share it in your workplace, they may say, you can't do that here. But what happens is that his father actually steps up. Now his father is the one who's actually put up the altar. He expended the resources to do this. But out of the act of faith of Gideon, his son, his weakest son, the least of his family, out of the actions of Gideon, even in secret and in the dark, out of fear, all of a sudden his father has faith. Now, I want us to just take a moment and just breathe that in and say, what would happen if I actually did the thing I'm most fearful of that the Lord is inviting me to do? Even if I did it completely in fear, and I probably didn't do a good job while I did it, what would the Lord be able to do with that? Well, I'm going to guess that Gideon was rejoicing that his father, who saw him as the weakest, took a stand for his son. Then Gideon said to God, this is verse 36, if you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I'll put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight, right where I'm at. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I'll know that you're going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. Then Gideon got up early the next morning. He squeezed the fleece and run out a whole bowl full of water. I can almost imagine Gideon kind of 
waking up and going down there and thinking, yesterday didn't really happen. And then he sees that the Lord actually did what he's supposed to do, and he, he has to rein it out because he wants to make sure it's just not an optical illusion. So he reins it out. And there's a whole bowlful. It's not just like he reins and there's a couple drips. There's a whole bowlful. And everything else is dry, and he goes, holy crap. Wouldn't, wouldn't she say that? I, that's what I would have said. I would have been like, oh, shoot. So how can I delay? That's what I would think. He wants me to go face these armies that are as thick as locusts, and I'm scared. I may have to go change my pants. I'm so scared. So how can I delay? Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry because it's already wet. While the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. It seems silly, right? But not really. Because we all want God to talk to us this way. We all want God to confirm the calling that he gave us. If he's asking us to do something, we want him to do something for us that says, yes, you're going in the right direction. And I believe he wants to do this for us because he understands the fear that we have in our hearts. God is patient and he's kind with us. Even when we forget how capable and kind he is. He reminds us that we're his, his children. And all he's doing is inviting us to just come home and see him as this powerful, strong father who wants to save us. Now, in Scripture, we have to recognize that this is a request, this request of the fleece is not something that was ever done again. It's not something that's, that I'm aware of was ever duplicated. Because this was a big action that the Lord was asking Gideon to do. This is a huge act for Gideon to step out and reconcile his people to the Lord. So you may be saying right now, well, I won't need, I'm, the Lord's not going to talk to me then because he's not going to ask me to do a big task. Like Gideon. Are any of you right there? He's not going to say anything to me because he won't ask me to do that kind of task. But the thing is, is that he has already done that. There's a verse that we did not read, but it's a powerful verse. The reason why Gideon was able to move forward and accomplish the things that he needed to do is in verse 34. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. 
We are clothed in that same power the moment that we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The moment the Lord gives us an identity and says, my spirit is upon you, you are now representing me to the world. And I've given you this task to reconcile the world to me. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He describes us as being a family that's reaching out to save family. A family that is created, reaching out to save family. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. He has given us a big task. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right through God, through Christ. So we step out into faith knowing that God will give us some of what we need or everything. We step out in faith in Christ. Everybody, look at me. <laughs> we step out in faith in Christ, recognizing that He'll give us some or everything. So, what I need you to do is to take what you know in your head and ask the Lord to place it into your heart. That you, you move from knowing into believing that anything he's asked you to do, you will actually get to do. So for those of you who feel insignificant and unuseful in the kingdom, you don't have to raise your hands, but I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray that you would speak into the heart of those who are feeling insignificant right now and not called by you that you would place your hand upon them and that you would give them courage, that they have a great task to do, to reconcile the world to you through the message of Christ. And Lord, I pray for all those who have idols, myself included, who get in the way. I pray that you would slowly remove these idols. Help us to see what they are so that we can identify them and then begin to remove them. And Lord, in the process of removing them, Lord, may we have the courage, may you push that courage into us to let them go, to open up our hands and to let that idol sleep, slip away from us. And for those of us 
who are here waiting to hear that invitation, who haven't heard that invitation to come back to God. I pray for their hearts, Lord, that you would ready them to receive this message with joy. May they turn from the idols that they have placed instead and turn towards you and receive that message and that identity and then join us in that war of reconciling people to you. For all those who are dealing with fear today, which if we are honest, Lord, it's all of us, may we all be reminded that the Lord is always near. He is with us. And that we'd remember Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Everyone say that with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Amen.